jumping back into our sermon series on money, let's go ahead and start just with our weekly video. Here's some money for your birthday, kid. Thanks, Dad. I'm going to buy a Barbie. Wait, kid. You should save your money. Money doesn't grow on trees. Here's your first paycheck. Don't spend it all at once. Thanks, boss. Don't worry. I'm saving my money. You've worked so hard. We're giving you a $10,000 bonus. Thanks, boss. Hi, I have $10,000 I'd like to deposit into my savings account. I'm ready to go retire on that beach in Florida. I'm sorry, you don't have enough money to do that yet. But I don't understand. I've been saving money all my life, just like my dad taught me. Your money sitting in a bank account is worth less and less each year. What are you talking about? I even had $10,000 saved up by the time I was 32. That 10K when you were 32 is now worth about $6,000 because of inflation. What could I have done differently? You should have been investing some of the money so that your money would have made you more money. <sighs> Who taught you this? Erica did. She's a lawyer and helps you get smarter with your money. That's why I follow her. Sorry for that ad at the end there. You know, you can't, can't escape it when you're on YouTube, right? She, she's uh, bringing actually really good advice. This is like something that I'd want my boys to, to watch like right after they get their first paycheck, you know, because it's, it's talking about looking at a long-term uh, investments, you know, looking at where does my money want to take, or where do I want my money to take me? You know, in her case, okay, well, how can we plan for retirement or a future? Uh, it fits right along with where we're at in our sermon series. We, we're spending five weeks talking about money. We've already talked about earning money. We talked about spending money. We've talked about saving money. And then last week, we, we ended on, uh, well, saving money just for yourself isn't worth it, right? It's foolish to just save up money for yourself. Uh, so the question is, well, well, then what do we do with our extra money? Uh, just like what she says, well, we should invest it, right? Uh, we should invest our money. Okay, well, how should I invest my money as a Christian? Uh, that's what we're going to be asking today, and we're going to be looking in the Bible to see what God has to say about investments. Um, to save you guys time, though, uh, there is no chapter and verse that talks about stock market tips, uh, so that's not in here. I don't know if you guys have already checked or if you guys are looking forward to it. That's not in here. Uh, we have to ask, well, what, what does it mean to invest our money? You know, in, in the video, the, the goal was to make more money in order that we could retire uh, at the end. What, what is the goal uh, of, of, of investing our money when we enter into the Bible? Uh, we saw last week just making more money for ourselves isn't worthy enough. That's not a good enough purpose for our savings. Uh, so the question isn't just, well, how can I allow my money to make more money? But it's what are the things that God values? So how can I put my money toward the things that are going to yield a return that God values? Uh, whether that's money or whether that's something else. That's where we're going to be going today. Uh, and as, as I've been saying throughout this whole series, uh, we come to God with questions about our money, about practical uh, realities within our life, but we want to hear what God has to say to our hearts. Uh, whether we like it or not, Money and our hearts are tied very close together, and oftentimes it's our money that's leading our hearts, not the other way around. If that's the case, then allow your heart to be brought to the conversation and let God speak to you because he wants your heart more than he wants your money. Uh, the passage uh, where we're going to be focusing on this morning is a, a popular passage, a famous passage, uh, all about investments. It's the parable of the talents, uh, as you might have heard growing up. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 25. And unlike most weeks, I mean, I'm going to read it still, but if you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew 25, or if you have a Bible app, go ahead and find it. Um, you, you probably know this, this passage, this parable, and perhaps you can even retell it. We're going to be understanding 
how we're supposed to invest our money by looking at the context, where it fits in. So uh, if you want to let your eyes go before and after, uh, reading the stories that are around it, uh, we'll be looking at the context to help us understand what this parable says. We're in Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read verses 14 all the way down to verse 30. And here's the story that Jesus told his disciples. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey that it is the kingdom of God. Just had to get that out of the way. We're talk- he's talking about the kingdom of God. All right, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the parable of the talents. Uh, the first thing to note, though, in the version that I just read, the version that we've got in the Bibles on your tables uh, around you, uh, it doesn't actually call this the parable of the talents. It says uh, the parable of the bags of gold. How, how many of you have a version that still says talents? What version is it? The 1984 NIV? What, what other versions? I know King James still says talents. ESV? So... The big question, why do we call this the parable of talents? And then why did they switch to the parable of bags of gold? It's called talents because there's a Greek word. What, what's translated as bag of gold is talantan in, in Greek. Uh, it's, a, it's a noun. A talantan was uh, a weight of like silver or gold that was just a, an amount that you'd have. Um, when you look at how that word was used in other, re, other sources, not just the Bible, we, we aren't quite sure exactly how much the amount was. It's not like a unit of measurement. And it seems that perhaps different countries, cultures, different time periods might have assessed a different weight to what a talantan was. So th- there's difficulty in translating that word. Uh, the, the previous or former, you know, kind of older translations uh, just said, okay, we'll take um, an English word that, that will just 
it's called a transliteration where you just write out in English how it sounds in the foreign language. So you say talantan, oh, that's like talent. Great, we'll call it a talent. And then that's what it goes for, uh, just this kind of nondescript amount of money. Uh, what the NIV uh, in this, I think it's 2011 version, but not to get too nerdy on you guys about dates of versions of Bible uh, translations, but they translate as a bag of gold to try to carry some of that vagueness, right? So it's just some sort of amount of money, of, of gold that these people would possess. Okay, why does this matter? Uh, I think the only reason it matters is when we hear the word talent, that, that is actually an English word. Um, that there, there is meaning to talent, which is like our ability, our skills that we have. And so sometimes if we call this the parable of talents, I think it's easy for us to think that Jesus is saying, I've given each of you uh, individual abilities. You're all different, but you need to uh, invest them to, to gain a return. Uh, that's not, again, that's not going to lead you astray if that's your interpretation, but this is very much about money. And the parable that Jesus shares is about getting an amount of money and a significant amount of money for servants. Uh, the main thrust of this parable, though, is not simply that we're supposed to make money or we're supposed to invest the things that God's given us. Uh, it's the fact that we have responsibility. Uh, the, the only time that ability shows up is just in how many bags of gold the different servants get right at the beginning. It says, gave uh, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. So it, we each get different responsibility according to our, our, our abilities, but the emphasis here is the fact that we are going to be held accountable for whatever responsibility God has given us. So when the, the master comes back, you know, the, the two servants that are praised are those that have put the bags of gold that they have received to work, and they have made more, and he says, well done, good and faithful servants. You know, be faithful with little. I'll put you in charge of much. And then come share in your master's happiness. The reward that these servants get is not freedom, right? It's not like, well, you've earned yourself freedom. Uh, I will send you off with the 10 bags go. Do whatever you want now. No, the, the reward is actually more responsibility. <laughs> you know, like, okay, you've been in charge of little. Here, I will put you in charge of much. He never tells them, or at least the, the parable doesn't say that, all right, you have to do this and this and this with your money. Uh, perhaps it was implied uh, because that, that third servant doesn't put his money to work. He, he holds on to the money, right? He doesn't lose the money, but he didn't steward the responsibility well. So there was an implied, you're supposed to do something with this money. Uh, I feel like that last servant would be like the posture of us who receive from God. We say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Let me receive his spirit. Let me receive his blessings. And now let me tend it. I'll be careful with it and I won't lose anything. So it's like a life that says, okay, now I'm going to work in my life so that I don't make any mistakes, right? I'm going to try to live a sinless life so that when God comes back on before him, I can say, look, I have stewarded well what you have. And, and Jesus is saying, well, no, you're actually, you're actually supposed to put it to work. You're supposed to take some risks here. You know, and, and whatever the talents are a metaphor for, this gold, whether it's our money, whether it is our actual talents, abilities, or just the opportunities he gives us, there's an expectation. There's responsibility that's baked into this passage. That's the point that Jesus wants to say. You disciples have responsibility so that when I come back, you will have some sort of profit for me. Uh, I think this parable uh, can help us see ourselves if we imagine uh, us in that position, right? Like, what if you were, uh, like, um, in charge of someone's wealth? You know, like, like pretend with me that, that imagine you're an investment banker. Um, now, I'm imagining, too, I've never been an investment banker, so I don't know. 
Uh, I do know some of you do have banking experience, so you'll just play along with me if, if this is wrong. I had to look up, like, what's an investment banker, and how's that different than, like, a banker banker? You know, like, and, and it turns out investment banks don't always have, you know, individual accounts where you deposit money or withdraw money, but they're trusted by companies, corporations, with very large amounts of money. Anytime they have uh, difficult financial decisions where, you know, mergers, acquisitions, uh, sometimes investment banks can kind of uh, take on the risk, act as an agent, you know, or act on behalf of the company, give them greater liquidity up front so they can make the decisions, you know, assume some of that risk. I just memorized that from Wikipedia. I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the bottom line, the bottom line that I found out is that investment banks are entrusted with large amounts of money for their clients. And then like, like all banks, they invest it. So, so they want to use the money that's been lent to them to make more money, to pay their salaries, to, to make their profits, and then have it available uh, for the corporations. Um, and there's stories of investment banks that steward money poorly, you know, like with the, the, the housing market uh, crisis of 2008 that knocked out several large investment banks and sends ripples throughout the entire economy as people have invested in things that just aren't worth maybe what they were hoping they'd be worth. I stumbled across this, this guy's story named Nick Leeson. He was a, uh, an investment banker in the early 1990s uh, of a bank, uh, I think based over in England, uh, but he grew this reputation of being like a, a savant, you know, where everything that he'd invest just perfect grew massive amounts of money for the company. And so he, he developed uh, a lot of trust. And so he, he got to be in charge of a large amount of investments. Uh, the problem was, it turns out he wasn't actually a genius. Uh, he was lucky. And so as he's making his future investments, uh, he, he loses some. Uh, but he had a clever little strategy. However much he lost, he would just bet double in some other market in order to make, make up the money back. And, and that had gotten him out of, uh, out of debt many times until it didn't. Uh, but he kept doubling down and he ultimately lost his company over $1 billion. This was like 30 years ago. Um, and, the, and the bank folded. Like this, this one investment banker completely took out the entire investment bank along with whatever other companies had their assets uh, locked up inside of it. Uh, he had a responsibility that he failed uh, he actually ended up going to jail for his actions. It's serious. You know, j just because you have access to someone else's money doesn't mean you can just play a game. You know, you can't, you certainly can't be like the, the third servant and bury it, you know, but, but you also can't be making willy-nilly investments, you know, or just trying to maximize your money and make poor decisions. You have a responsibility and you're going to be held accountable for it. The same way that Jesus wants to tell us in this parable. We have a responsibility with the opportunities that he's given us. Or when we look at, we have a responsibility with the money that he's given us to invest it well. So that when he comes back, we can say, look, here's what you gave me. I've turned it into more. The only question is, okay, then what, what are we invested in, right? Like, Jesus, let me, let me read this parable again. Yeah, you never say what they invested it in. You know, like... The, the talents, these, these bags of gold, are a metaphor for the opportunities that we've been given. Okay, so what, what's, explain what the metaphor of the return is then, you know, or the investment. You know, like, how can we know how we're supposed to invest? I recognize there's responsibility. When you come back, Lord, you're going to ask me, what have I done with the opportunities you've given me? But within this parable, there is no answer. Therefore, invest it in these things. That's where we have to look at the greater context 
of what Jesus is telling his disciples. Uh, This whole uh, section uh, is two chapters. It's 24 and 25. It's all one conversation with his disciples. Uh, We're not going to read through the whole thing this morning. Feel free to. It's fascinating. But the disciples are asking him about the end times. Jesus has said, I will return again. Like, whoa, when are you going to return? What's it going to be like? And so he's telling them what it's going to be like. He ends this two sections. So this is um, chapter 25 and the very end of chapter 24. Jesus ends with four stories. Four stories that have very similar uh, setup, and they're all about, well, when Jesus comes back, and in particular, what's the disciples' experience going to be when Jesus comes back? The, the underlying theme of these four stories is that Jesus is going to come back unexpectedly. You're, you're not going to have time to prepare for it. Like every week, we host a community group at our house on Tuesday nights. So that means Tuesday afternoons, we clean it. And we go all over the house, and as much as we can get done in that time, you know, we try to get all the, all the dinner made and all the dishes done and vacuumed everywhere. And has anyone checked the basement? Let's pick up the toys. Why? Because when people come to our house, we know they're going to come. It starts at 6 o'clock. You're all invited if you want to come. Because we want to present our house in a certain way. So when they come, they can feel welcomed, hospitable, that we're waiting for them, that we want them to come. Jesus is saying, hey, when I come back, I'm not going to give you an RSVP. I'm just going to ring the doorbell and you're going to have to let me in and I will see the state of your house, whatever it is. So, so his, his message to the disciples is just live in a clean house. Live in the house that you would want me to see. Uh, this, this is what he's saying for our lives, right? Like wh- wh- the four stories, you can read them all. They all have the same theme of when he comes back, it'll be unexpected and then you're going to have to have an account for what you've done. And in all four of these stories, there's a separation of those that have been faithful and for those that have not been faithful. Those that are faithful get the reception that the first two servants do. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, share in your master's happiness. Those that are unfaithful get kicked out. They get fired and then they get put in this this eternal context. Okay, you cannot be with me anymore. You're gonna be over here and eternal torment is what he says. So it's it's just the, the ultimate different directions, the ultimate fork in the road. When is this happening? We don't know. So you better be ready. That's the main point. And so when we get to the third story is the parable of the talents or parable of the bags of gold, Jesus adds this element of responsibility. It's not just that he's going to come, he's going to look at your life. Like you're actually supposed to be doing something with your life, not just having a clean house, not just holding on to what I've given you. You're supposed to be investing, doing things. And it's not until the fourth story that he adds application well, what does it look like? What does a clean house look like? What is this return that we're supposed to be going for? What do you value that I'm supposed to be investing my money in? And that's this last story called uh, the sheep and the goats in my Bible. Literally the very next passage, I'm just going to start reading uh, where I left off, uh, verse 31 all the way down to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, 
Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This story at the end has a very similar structure. It's about, okay, in the end, when we're facing God, there's going to be some sort of judgment. There's going to be a separation of the righteous from the unrighteous. Unrighteous get eternal separation from God. Righteous get eternal uh, life shared with God. And then the twist in this story is that they don't know when they're serving God. So, so if you wanted to use, kind of mix the metaphors from the two parables, they didn't know they were investing their gold, their bags of gold. They didn't know when they were receiving the return because both the righteous and the unrighteous said the same thing like, I definitely never saw you hungry and thirsty, needing clothes as a stranger. Like, I, I never served you, Lord. And he said, oh, no, when, when you were serving my brothers and sisters, the least of these, I was present. That's the investment I'm looking for. That's the house I'm looking for when I show up. That's what I'm going to judge you on when I show up. That's what you should be preparing yourself for when I come. So what, what, what are those things? It's uh, giving something to eat, something to drink, inviting in strangers, needing clothes and clothing, looking after the sick, visiting those in prison. It's meeting people's needs. It's, it's, it's healing people, bringing them life, you know, meeting the lonely where they're at. This shouldn't surprise us. Because what did Jesus do when he was on earth? He'd walk around, he'd preach the truth about who God was, and he'd heal people. And he'd feed people. <laughs> he'd raise people up from the dead. He'd bring them life. This is who our God was when he was on earth. This is who Jesus was. If we say, I am a faithful follower of Jesus, yeah, it would make sense. Your life would look like his life. Your ministry would reflect his ministry. When someone asked Jesus, what is the most important law, right? What did he say? He said, love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So with everything you have, everything you be given, love God. And the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, if you live that, that's what I'm looking for. That's the kind of investment. You have all sorts of opportunities to do these things. When I show up, will you have done these things or not? That's the parable of the talents, so we, we back it up. Okay, well, then how should we invest? We're, we're asking God, we've got this money. You know, we, we've said over the previous weeks that we're supposed to work hard, get money, live under our, our, our means that we can, and then we're gonna have extra money. Don't just save it for ourselves. What do we do with the extra? Well, how about we invest it in the things that God values? What does he value? He values bringing life to people. Jesus himself said, John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. He wants us to have life. This 
is what he values. Therefore, if we want to have a return on the investment of what he's given us, let's take the money he's given us, the opportunities we have, and invest in life around us. Here's a principle about the purpose of money that we see. Oh, I haven't even clicked anything. It's already 11.08. You guys have the whole rest of the sermon. Just kidding. I told, um, I told the group, if I got through that section really quickly and I needed 20 minutes of filler, I have it available. So... I didn't get through it quickly. Money is a tool to bring life. So money serves God's purposes. God's purpose is to bring life everywhere around us. Um, the part that I, I'm, I cut out is all the different examples through the Bible where this is true, where money is used to bring life. Like the tithes in the Old Testament, they were supposed to enter the promised land and receive the abundance of God and then out of their extra, they're supposed to take care of the foreigner, the widow, the orphan, the priests who had made a commitment to live and serve God. And then it's Paul when he's uh, fundraising and he's asking people to meet the needs of those going through a famine across the globe from where they were, or even to support his ministry. He's the one bringing life, spiritual life, to the people around him. There's warnings in Amos and James chapter 5 for the rich people that are getting rich and are enjoying their riches and they're ignoring the needs, the lives of the people around them. They are judged very severely. If you want to feel uncomfortable, read, read through the book of Amos. It's just, um, it feels an awful lot like 21st century America, you know, and, and there's not very pleasant words um, for the amount of stuff that they have and their decision to be apathetic toward the needs of others around them. All throughout the Bible, we see money is just a tool to meet needs. You know, we, we talked when we were talking about earning money, it's good to earn money. It's good to meet your own needs. We're supposed to pray for our daily bread and God will provide our daily bread through money. Uh, we said uh, both Paul and Proverbs value not having to depend on others. This is good. We should work. We should use money to meet our own needs. Uh, we also saw when we we're talking about spending money that there are wealthy people, wealthy, righteous people within the Bible who have received a blessing from God. I'm thinking people like Abraham, people like Job. And we saw with Solomon, he was definitely blessed by God. But there was a warning there because he was spending it all himself. And then the fool from last week who saves up his money for himself and Jesus says, no, nah, you're a fool. <laughs> That's not worth it. Okay, well, we should spend money on ourselves. Let's meet our needs. We should enjoy the money that we have. But how should we invest our money? This week, we're unlocking another application of what our money goes. Our, our money meets our needs. We enjoy, we thank, we're grateful for what God's given us. And then our money is to meet the needs of those around us. If we want to know how we're supposed to invest our money, how do we invest it? Well, how can we love the ones around us? By bringing them life. Let your money bring life to those around you. That's the investment that God values. Now, what does that look like? Maybe ask this question. We're going to have discussion. We're going to ask that, right? Like, what, what does it actually look like to, to bring life through our money around us? Where would Jesus go if he were here today? Right? If you were in your life or if you were here in Castle Rock today, where would he go? Like, like where, where would he heal people? Where would he be feeding people? Where would he be teaching about who God is? Whatever you come up with, that's the area. Invest there to bring life. Wherever you think Jesus would be doing his ministry, if we're followers of Jesus, let's continue his ministry. Let's go where he would go and put our money and invest in the places that he would invest. And I also want to challenge us 
for the way that Jesus goes. Allow yourself to get close to your investment. Don't be content just to look up a bunch of charities online and set up automatic donations once a month. That's, that's fantastic. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus had all the wealth in the world up, up, upstairs in heaven, right? We had our poverty. He could have just, all right, let me give you your daily bread, give you enough so that you can be sustained. But he did not. His example was leaving his wealth to come with us because he wanted to walk with us. He wanted to talk with us. He wanted to touch us. He wanted to love us. He wanted to be close to his investment. Allow yourself to get close to where you invest. Like Jim and Nancy, great example. Okay, if we want to invest in healing people that don't have access to, to healing uh, hospitals, you know, doctor's office, to, to any sort of tools, well, let's go to them and let's help heal. Let's invest our money there so that we can bring life to these people. Allow yourself to go. If we, say, if we say it's not your heart leading your money, but your money leading your heart, well, then strategically let your money lead your heart. <laughs> you know, let your money bring your heart to places, bring your life to places, to people that Jesus wants to love and bring life. Spiritual life, physical life, spiritual needs, physical needs, all of it is a good investment. So I'm, I want to challenge all of us, whoever you share finances with, whether it's a spouse, your parents, uh, whether there's friends, put, put it out on the table and say, what are we investing our money in? I'm not talking mutual funds, retirement accounts, IRAs. No, like what are you investing in that is valuable to God? Where is your money bringing life to those around you? This isn't just an application from the sermon. We're doing this because we're preparing ourselves for when Jesus comes back, right? Like if, if, if we're taking this entire context and these parables in, he's gonna come back unexpectedly. We're not gonna have enough time to drain our bank accounts, throw them a bunch of charities and say, look God, all of my money is being, you know, going to all these great places that are, you know, helping people have life. No, he's gonna come unexpectedly and he's gonna see exactly where your money is right now. So what's, what's the moral of the story? Give it all away? No, make sure your life is invested in the things that God values. Because ultimately, what we all want to hear is what he told those first two servants. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Lord, we recognize that you've entrusted us with great wealth, great opportunities. We, we recognize that there is poverty, uh, spiritual poverty, physical poverty around us. I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to take the right risks, to invest the things that you've given us, our, even our time, our lives, so that we might bring life to those around us, that we might invest in the things that you value so that when you see us, when that day comes, whether we die and visit you or whether you come back, Lord, you can see a life that is invested in the things that you value. May we have bags of gold to show you as a return for the responsibility that you've given us. May you guide us in this, nudge us, show us those opportunities and give us the courage to take those risks. You are Lord of our lives, Lord. May we follow you wholly. In your name we pray, amen. Now this morning, this is the best part. We get to take communion together. It's the first Sunday of the month where we remember what Jesus did on the cross. 
where he paid for our sin, meaning that he washes us clean and, and enables us to have this relationship, to spend eternity with God. Paul put a metaphor in 2 Corinthians. Here, put up the, uh, the 2 Corinthians verse. I think it's 8, 9. He's talking about Jesus' sacrifice from a monetary perspective. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The only reason that we can even offer life, that we can even invest in life for those around us, is because first, Jesus invested in our life. He had wealth. He didn't need us. And he didn't just want us to receive life. He came, he took on poverty in order that he might give us the wealth of his life. And so when we take communion, we're accepting that. We say, yes, I want your life, Jesus. I recognize that I could not get to you on my own, but I want you to fill me up. This is a necessary step if we're ever going to invest our money in real life around us and not just fake life. The life that we have is the life we have in Christ. So as we take communion, reflect on this verse, reflect on what Jesus has done, reflect on his model of investment in us, and ask him to fill you up with his life so that we might be able to invest that same life in others. Here's how we do communion here at our church. Uh, well, we do it a couple different ways. Here's how we're going to do communion at our church this morning. How about that? Uh, we're going to have uh, the, the bread and the juice right here in the middle. We'll ask people to go around and then form a line down the middle. We'll all receive both the bread and the juice. We'll go back to our seats around the outside, and then we'll all hold on to it, and then we'll all take it together. Everyone is invited to take it with us if you also want to accept and receive Jesus' sacrifice, and you want his life to be inside you. If that's not you, you're not in that place, just hang, hang out, sit in your seat, be praying through it this morning. Uh, but if you, if you do want to do that, even if you've never done it, and, but you say, this is my heart, I invite you to take communion with us so we can all share in Jesus' life together. So let's take communion. So Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he broke bread, and after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant which is in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you bow your head and your hearts with me? Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the life that you offer us freely. May we not just receive it, but may we also understand what you call us to do with it. May we be willing to give our life in the same way you gave yours to the people around us and in the ways that you lead us. We thank you for how you transform us and we ask that you continue to mold us and shape us so that we could look more like you and our hearts would be brought more into alignment with your own. We love you and in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Turn to your neighbors. We've got three discussion questions. I'm just going to give you guys enough time to probably answer one of these. But then, of course, feel free to stay as long as you'd like. 
But these are application-heavy questions. Where would Jesus minister in Castle Rock? Just spitball ideas. There's, there's no right or wrong answer. Jesus hasn't been in Castle Rock, so we don't know where he would go. Um, but where might he go? Number two, how can your money bring life to others around you? Give actual specific ideas, because I think this question is hard, but your answers might help other people see different ways, different examples of, well, how could this look? In real life. And then lastly, what guidelines help you know how much to invest? This is the, how, how much do I know is supposed to be a, a thank you from God and enjoy his blessing on my life? And how much is meant to go for others to meet their needs? Uh, pick your favorite question, talk about it. I'll come back up in maybe four minutes and then dismiss you all. So turn to your neighbors, gather around the tables uh, and, and discuss one of these questions.